0: So, if you've got um, a, a Bible, we, we're looking at the book of Jonah. If you've got it on your phone, then get your phone out. You can switch between Instagram and the Bible app. And um, we're going to work our way through the whole of, of the first chapter. There's only four chapters in Jonah. You can read it in like 10, 15 minutes. It's an amazing book. I want to start with this uh, question um, I want to say why I think we, as a church family, we need a divine reset. Why we need a divine reset. And I want to start with a story. In our household, there has been on occasions, um, a moment, our kids will be uh, watching the television. And, you, and if, you, if you've got children, um, you'll recognize that, that, that scream they make when something terrible has happened. You know that it just kind of arrests your heart. You put, you put down what you're doing and you rush to see what it is. Do you, do you ever experience that? Any parents in the house or... Maybe you don't have kids, but you've seen parents do that and they just rush through. There have been some occasions in our our family where there's just this screaming and shouting come from the from the living room. Just rush in and say, What's wrong? And they say, Look, and you look at the television, and it's got that circle of doom. (laughs) It's just like it's buffering. And like the internet's dropped or something's happened, I don't know. Or like the we use a, we use Amazon Fire Stick, it needs unplugging and you've got to reset it. But it's like all pandemonium breaks loose in the house because it's like the telly start working. Ah, you rush in, you know like, what is it? What's happened? What's happened? Somebody comes. No, the telly's not working. It's like oh my goodness, first world problems or what? And I find myself saying the words that I vowed I would never ever say as a parent, in my day. <laughs> ever do that? You know, in my day. So I find myself saying, in my day, we only had four channels, because I'm that old. And I can remember when Channel 5 came along. And then I say, do you know, in my day, we didn't have any choice about what, you, what, what we watched. You know, you came home, you bought on BBC One, is it Blue Peter, 10 past 5, 5.35, Neighbors? Yeah, remember it? Oh, good old days. And then I just relay that to my kids and they just look at me as if they say, you are so old. Can you imagine life without that? And sometimes what happens is you've just got to do a reset. You've just got to unplug. And it takes like, I don't know, it takes like a minute or two, but it feels like an eternity because the kids are all just like watching, waiting for it to come back on. But to fix it, you stop it, you do a reboot, you unplug. And I think that's the same for us in life. And I think Jonah, this amazing story, if you, if you grew up in church, or you may have not been around church, but it's a story of a man who's swallowed by a fish, it is a little weird. And you might be coming here to have some degree of skepticism. There was a man who was swallowed by a fish off the coast of Sweden, sent, spent several days. He was very ill when he came out, understandably. There's a lot of stomach acid, so was, he was not in a good place, but it is possible. That's kind of the anecdotal evidence that people quote. But then I heard another theologian say if Jesus can be bodily raised from the dead on the third day, it's possible that God can use a fish. So there you go. But you know, within the story of Jonah, there is some profound. Truth. That, that, that whenever we look at the Old Testament, it is always intertwined with the New Testament in the revelation in Jesus. And so people say when, when Jesus is telling the story of the power of the prodigal Son, he's actually talking about Jonah. Because in Jonah, Jonah both embodies the younger son and the older brother. And then if you look at the story, it's honestly really, it's just four chapters. You get the 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 you see the the good Samaritan, and here's the story. So if you've got your Bible, let's um, let's let's dive in now. Before we do that, I've made a PowerPoint. Thank you. I, I hate PowerPoints, but I thought uh, it's vision, isn't it? So there you go. That's Sheffield. In case you're wondering, yes. Um, <laughs> all right, steady on, Sam. You're supposed to be encouraging me, and. Um, um, we are we a ch- church that longs to be uh, for the city. Let's have the second slide, please. Ah, oh, we, all right, Sam, you've made your point. Let's let's go. We're gonna we're gonna come back to that one at the end. Let's go next one. Ah, oh, there you go. If that's your street, we'll pay you for using that photograph. Okay. So we're thinking about Jonah over the next three weeks and we're thinking about vision to be a church that's for the city just a little context and if you're you're new here today a couple of weeks ago we released the team to a place called Stannington and um, they there's a 30 or so folks have gone to be part of Christchurch Church Stannington led by an amazing guy called Nick Latimer and before that in September there's a team of about 20 25 people may who live in another part of our city a city called Furvale. And, and they planted a church there called All Nations. Many have lived there for a long time, but some felt a call and a burden for that part of the city. So that's what we've done. That's why there's a few extra seats, folks, because people have gone to different parts of the city, and that's what we sense the Lord calling. And it would be very easy, because next year Luke Graham is going to go to another church in another part of the city, and he's so cool, my worry is, is anybody going to stay? So, um, And I just thought before we, before we step in, and press on and talk about clusters. Just wonder if the Holy Spirit's saying it is time for a divine reset. So if you've got your Bible, let's jump straight to Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. I love this. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And headed for Tarshish. he went down to Joppa, where he found a boat, a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked, what should we do? to you to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Amen and so we're going to work work our way if you've got your bible keep it open we're going to work our way through the first chapter so the chapter kicks off first one the word of the lord came to jonah son of amittai go to the great city of nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me okay let's just hit pause right there so here's jonah son of amittai now this is this is this when god calls somebody who's a prophet this is in what we call the minor prophets, it's very, very common for these words to be, the word of the Lord came to Amos, or the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now here's the thing, Jonah would not be your first choice for a prophet. Let me tell you why, he's from the northern part of Israel. And that's not just because he's northern, relax, don't worry, okay, but Israel had divided into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And Jonah was known for his pretty extreme views. He is what you would call, I guess like today's standards, he might be as what you might describe as, a, as an influencer. Um, he, and he's also, he's also got some pretty right, uh, he's got some pretty right of sense of views. He is what you would describe a nationalist. Make Israel great again. There's this sense in which he has prophesied to, to Jeroboam the second. He's like, "Fortify the walls, don't let anybody in." And, and I'm not trying to make a political point because whenever we reflect on our politics, the Bible should always shape and inform what it is we think. But the reality is, the human heart hasn't changed in thousands of years. And so Jonah is known for wanting to strengthen Israel's position to keep people who are non-Israel uh, non-Hebrews out. And so you, some people say that actually he's kind of like he's he's a little bit racist. Like, he doesn't want people who are non Hebrews. He wants to keep them out. And we know that that is not what God intended for Israel. Israel was designed to be a place where the poor, the foreigner, could come and find refuge in their nation. And so, when, when, when people are listening to the story, a bit like when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal, some people are like, uh, What? Jonah? Are you kidding? Are you serious? Have you seen that guy's Twitter feed? Have you seen him on Instagram? This guy's out of control. He's got some pretty unsavory views. And then he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh is modern-day Mosul in Iraq, and it's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And it is a place that you do not want to visit if you are not from there. It is The Assyrians were known for their absolute barbaric cruelty. In fact, the, the only thing that we've got that comes close to the level of cruelty is the Islamic State. For example, what, what it, theologians say that, that in, in battle, if they, if they conquered a place, what they would do to the warriors is chop off an arm, chop off a leg, and then watch them crawl. They would set fire to adolescents and watch them burn. They are nutters. And so Jonah knows if he goes there, he's going to die. But he also knows that God in his grace reaches out to people in faith. And he is so prejudiced that he cannot see how they can become part of God's family. He just can't see it. So, even though God has asked him to do something, Jonah makes the decision. He puts himself in charge of the moment and thinks, I'm going to go. Now, God has told him to go across land, 400 miles, it miles it is, to um, Nineveh. But he decides to go down to the port of Joppa and he gets a one way ticket to Spain. Booked it, packed it, he's gone. There's a Peter Kay reference, I won't continue the rest, okay? So he decides he's going to take, a, and it's just near Gibraltar apparently, so not a bad place to go. So he thinks if he, can, if, he can, if he can evade God, if he can avoid God, think of the parable of the prodigal son, the one who decides, if he can just not do what God asks, that God will ask somebody else. It's actually pretty smart thinking. So it's a sense of disobedience, but it's actually pretty smart. If I can make myself scarce, someone else is going to take my place because that is God will find another prophet. I'm out of here. I just cannot do this. So gets the one-way ticket. The weather's not, perhaps, I'm joking, the weather's, it's, I'm just making that up. We don't, I'm just being silly. But he goes to Spain. Amen. And it says, verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, head of Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship. Bound for the port after paying the fare, he went aboard Salvatorius to free from the Lord. Verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. It's kind of like reminiscence of Jesus sleeping in a storm. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. Now, here's the thing. Jonah is, is sleeping down in the, is it the hull? Is that the bottom of the boat? Yeah? Thank you. Somebody put there. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, the rest of the sailors. Now the sailors are from all different kinds of places, but what we see with them is there is an, an openness to spirituality. Each of them, from their different places, have their kind of respective deities, and they begin to call on their respective deities. They are experienced sailors. They they know there's something fishy about. See what I did there? Thank you. Okay. About this kind of storm, it's not. It feels like it's some kind of meteorological, if that's the right word, anomaly. And so their immediate response is it's something divine. And so they begin to pray, they begin to call out, and nothing seems to happen. And Jonah is asleep. Now, why is Jonah asleep? Well, Jonah's asleep because he doesn't want to be with them because they are the pagans. And he is a Hebrew. And he thinks that they are unclean, that they are people of other cultures, other nations, and he thinks he's better than them. So he avoids them. That's why he's not with them. And you know, not only is he not with them, and not only does that kind of confirm his nationalist kind of sympathies and thinking, not only does it confirm that, that he really isn't wanting to be with them or to reflect them. I mean, he's a prophet of the Lord. He's indifferent. Timothy Keller, who has been a church pastor in, in New York City for a long time, writes amazing books. He's a great speaker. I love listening to his, his teaching. He says that the, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's in, indifference. Like when you just, heart isn't moved, it's just, it's just hard. You just watch stuff on the television, you watch the stuff in Sudan, and you're just indifferent because you think, ah, oh, change the channel, ah, oh, it's the circle of doom. I'll oh, get Netflix, ah, oh, can't, the internet's gone. I watch news for some entertainment. Or well, you drive through other parts of the city and you live in a nice part of the city and, you, and it doesn't move you. See people on the street begging, and it just embarrasses you, just indifferent. Jonah's asleep while the people are terrified they're gonna die. And he sleeps through it. And that tells us something about Jonah and his calling to be a prophet, and it tells you something about his heart has become hard. He's asleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. This pagan captain is more open to Yahweh right now than Jonah. Isn't that amazing? Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? And from what people are you? So casting lots is just something that people did in the ancient world. It's how they would make decisions. And so they cast the lot, and and in the providence of God, it lands on Jonah. And they're like, well, you tell us. What's going on? Who are you? So they ask him a couple of different questions, and in those questions, they're asking, "What is your identity?" Notice, notice that Jonah doesn't come from the deck. Maybe he's rubbing his eyes. He's he's sleepy. Maybe he's changing his clothes. And you know, you can imagine the boats. It's like it's moving, and you you imagine the stuff is you know, in the kind of films when stuff drops off the boats because it's lots. It's very, you know, everything's dropping around. I can remember once going on a, a fishing. Expedition? You don't do fishing expeditions, but you know what I mean. With some friends to go catch card near the Isle of Wight or something, and I was sick as a parrot, and it was like so rough. There's stuff dropping on the, even though it's secured, it's, it's like the, you, know, you can hardly walk. And Jonah comes out, and he doesn't pray. They've asked him to pray. Come and pray to your God, and he doesn't do it. So they begin to say, who are you? What are you? And he says, and he answers is, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's like Jonah, come on, man. It's like he's coming into land and he's like, like you wish I was. And he's like, it's that sense in which, he, yes. And he, and he begins to say that God, is, God, God this, this, this meteorological calamity, God is in charge of it. God is over it. He says, I'm a Hebrew. This is who I am. This is my identity. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. There is a thing where, where, where when we make choices, unhelpful choices... We all make choices every single day. There is an inevitability that those choices affect those around us, those we love. And up until this moment, Jonah is so preoccupied. He's so bound in his desire to get away from what God wants, to get away from God. He's so, his heart is just, just so indifferent. He cannot see. The people in front of his very eyes. He's got some major blind spots. He lacks significant sense of self-awareness. He just can't see it. And that's what happens in the storms of life. The storms of life expose in us where we have placed our identity. For Jonah, he has built his life on being the nationalist prophet, doing the stuff of God. And yet in reality, he hasn't done the stuff of God. He's done the stuff that affirms his own political position. And sometimes when it marries up with God's will, that's awesome. But right now, in this moment, he exposes his thinking, he exposes his theology, and they're terrified. They are more open to God than Jonah. They're more susceptible to what God is saying than he is. That's the truth. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. And listen to these words. He says this, I know that this is my fault and this great storm has come upon you. It's a moment where the, light, the kind of penny drops, the, the light bulb switches on, whatever metaphor you want to use. But it's the moment where Jonah begins to realise the consequences of his actions. And, you know, this is the heart of these amazing, these amazing sailors. They say instead the men did their best to row back to land But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. These guys, they're not Hebrews. But they are more concerned about Jonah's life than Jonah is for their life. Jonah's indifferent. And then they cry out to Yahweh. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And then it says in verse 16, At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This wasn't some kind of foxhole conversion. This is like, we have seen this dramatic event happen, and we have done what we should do and it's like this is real, this is an amazing moment. This is the call on Jonah's life to see pagan, people who are not believers, convert and encounter the love of grace of God. And then it says this in verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. That is, this is Jonah's reset moment. In the storms of life, as they come bashing against him physically, it reveals to him what his identity really is rooted in or isn't. And then as they throw him over the side, the grace of God captures him in the form of a very large fish for three days. It's similar to the cross, the silence of Saturday, and the Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. Three days, it's all linked in it's linked into the good samaritan who loves the person on the road and the good samaritan is despised and he's hated that is the call on jonah's life to go to the places to the people that are different who don't look like us who are not the same color as us who are not the same socioeconomic background as us look around us folks if our church is going to be a church for the city it needs to look like the city it would be amazing if they're like you don't leave your mobile phones on the floor because you don't know who's sat next to you you don't let your kids run around, climbing the trees going to the Noah's Ark for a cheeky half pint (laughs) and then bringing it back because you don't know who's in the building Are we really that different from Jonah? Really? So what I want to propose to us, folks, is that the storm that Jonah experiences exposes the indifference in his heart. But he cannot see that indifference because he thinks he is so right. A bit like Peter, remember? I will never betray you. You see, Peter's faith isn't in Jesus. Peter's faith is in his ability to be strong at all times. His ability is to respond to situations in a certain way. and Of course, he gets exposed. Jonah's vision is for a particular kind of Israel, not, but that's not the Lord's vision. So the Lord takes him to this breaking moment where every person used by the Lord is taken to their darkest place, where it seems, what is going on here, Lord? Where are you? Where faith kicks in, it makes no sense. And that's the moment that Jonah has his divine reset, So what does that what does that mean for us? What does that mean for next steps as we journey through the the the, for the book of Jonah? Thinking about vision next week, Luke Graham will be speaking, which will be amazing. The week after, it's me again. We're going to be might even show a pie chart uh, to talk about money because we ain't got a lot, folks. Um, Kevin is our treasurer. He's a scratch cards. He asks prophetically for Jesus to give him the lottery numbers. I'm joking, but it's a little bit tight, okay? It's a bit tight, So, because uh, rightly so, people have gone to other places following the call of Jesus, and rightly so, they've taken their money. <laughs> so we need to call out to the one who owns the catalogue of Thousand Hillsides, because he's got this covered, and I have to remind myself of that. So um, we'll, be, we'll be doing all that in a couple of, couple of, um, couple of weeks' time. I think we need a divine reset. And if we could go to that, uh, one step ahead. Barry, thank you so much. That's amazing. Uh, every Wednesday night, um, we're, we're calling the church to pray. Now, I realize uh, at the 9 a.m., some people say, we can't make Wednesday nights because they're at the lead mill, those guys. <laughs> Honestly, they're out, you know, they're out of control. So they can't make it, which is fine. Some people uh, don't like to go out at night. Hey, neither do I. I'm absolutely cool with all that. Um, so there'll be different points but the principle is we are we're saying to clusters and to small groups will you consider we're not saying this a three line whip thou shout because i can't i can't be dealing with the emails folks honestly i really can't so we are it's one of those suggested don you know we go to a place that's suggested donation it's like look we're encouraging as many as you can I know for some groups that isn't going to be possible all the time just because of the nature of the group or the it's just not going to be helpful for the people in it you are grown-ups and we've said to the leaders you're grown-ups you make the choice as you see fit and we'll have a conversation to work that through okay but the principle is what would it look like to gather on a Wednesday night and make room where does that come from well it's partly uh, James Royal on that he came up with it so blame him um but it's from the song, and the song is based in this enlarge the place of your tents and let them stretch out the curtain of your dwellings. It's Isaiah speaking of a time when God is calling his people to function in such generosity that they enlarge their tents. Hospitality was absolutely key to the Jewish world. There was no Airbnb. Do you know, you could turn up anywhere and the expectation was that people would make room for you. Do you know, there was such a passion about hospitality, Philoxenia? this sense of radical, not hospitality that people look like you, but people who are totally different to you. People would come in and might steal your stuff. And the passion was so much the desire for this hospitality and hosting people, making room for them, was the same concept as how you would host and make room for the Shekinah glory of God. And there is something about us pausing, gathering on a Wednesday. It might finish at half nine, sometimes it might finish. At, just leave when you like. Honestly, it doesn't matter. We won't be offended. There's something about coming and saying, we haven't got an agenda. There's no plan. There's no, there's no big idea. There's just a sense of, Jesus, we need you. And do you know, if you think this isn't biblical, do you know, in the life of Jesus, like, like we all know that Jesus likes healing. Amen. Amen. We all know that Jesus talked about the kingdom. Amen. We all all know that Jesus was broke at social conventions had a massive heart for the poor and that's what we want in the life of our church i'll speak about that that in a moment but do you know one of the things that jesus did that we as evangelical charismatic christians neglect is this that jesus intentionally takes time in silence and solitude to seek the presence of his father and you know, if we're gonna follow Jesus, yes to all those other things, but if we can do it seriously, there are times when we have to lay down our agenda. We have to lay down the things that that, that give us identity and meaning, and maybe the relationships that give us meaning and identity and have done for a long time. Maybe our communities have become more friendship groups than they have about the places of his presence and encounter. If our communities are the time where we pray, keep it legal at the end, you know what I mean? Quit, oh no. Jesus, bless our days. Amen. And bless the cat, because it's not well. And maybe our hearts have grown indifferent. Jesus does this. Before a major change in his life, he spends six weeks in the desert. Hey. Before any major stuff in Mark 6, uh, 30 to 32, after a big event, he recharges and he rests. I'm speaking to myself here. I'm not very good at this. Do you know when, when Jesus goes through grief, he takes time out to be with the Lord alone. So That's really important that we do that. Matthew 14, 1 to 13. Before a big decision, before choosing the 12 disciples, he doesn't get out PowerPoint and an Excel spreadsheet. He spends time alone with the Father seeking his face. When it's in a season of distress and emotional angst and anxiety, what does Jesus do? He goes back to the Lord to seek him. When he wants to pray, he seeks the Lord. That's why for us, I think there's a season for us to make room. Make room for him. Yeah, but we love our small group. Oh, praise God. I'm glad you do. I'm really glad you do. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? It's what we want to encourage. But do you know... There's a city of a half million people who don't have what we have. And our call is to share it, to give it away, to live a life of generosity. Well, it's really hard. Yeah, it is. It's called the gospel. And we can't do it alone. My heart is hard. I don't want people I don't know coming into my house. I'll talk to my neighbour on my time, thank you very much, when I'm in the mood to do it. Mainly for a sermon so I can preach on it, seemingly like I have some kind of integrity. But when he talks to me over the fence and I'm in and not having a good day, and he wants to chat to me about some planning application, I don't really want to talk to him there and then. I'm like, Lord. Okay, Lord. Okay. After Mate Room Wednesday night, I'd love to tell you I went home and thought, Jesus, you move so powerfully. I went home and thought, Lord, are we making the right decision? And then Thursday, I woke up and I thought, "Lord, are we making the right decision?" And this came to me, and um, I, I don't—I I didn't hear it audibly. It could have been the cheese. Okay, let's just leave that with you. But I just thought, almost like him say, "How many baptisms have you had this year?" And I thought, not many. And I'm not going to go down the wind to, to put put numbers on it I'm not but actually I felt the second question from the Holy Spirit was and does that concern you? Does it move you? Does it motivate you? And I'll be honest I thought not enough and I felt a real conviction of the Lord and I think that's what the Lord wants us to do to take us to a place where we perhaps become before him repent of stuff we bring our anger and our frustration because of our friends have gone on church plants. It's not the same. We bring our anger and our grief that we're not able to meet, perhaps, as we were. Anger and grief from, the, from COVID or, or any other season. That any, we just bring it before Jesus and say, you can deal with this far better than I can. I'm, I've been holding on to this for too long. I'm going to give this to you, back to you, Lord. And embrace Hosea 10, 12, the divine reset that the Lord, I believe, and I want to bring to us in all my vulnerability. That's what I think he's calling us to do. Why? And I want to finish with this. Let's go back to the other slide. So I'm absolutely messing you around here, Barry. Uh, oh, perfect. I want to say something very briefly because time has gone. This 10-minute talk has taken a lot longer than it was going to anyway, as you can see. That was a joke, but I'll press on. Okay, Okay, first thing. Um, I think the three concepts we've been thinking about over the next couple of years, exiles, the church general has lost its capital leverage over culture. Uh, I think we need to avoid culture wars and things like that. We need to capture the heart of Jeremiah 29, which is to serve our city as well as we can to be ambassadors, to, to realise that we are sons and daughters of the King, that when we walk into a place, we walk in filled with the Holy Spirit. So to, 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 to raise up a church where we are discipling people so that we can walk in the freedom that Jesus brings so that we can be his ambassadors. That means that we have dual citizenship, uh, citizenship of this country or whatever country you're from and citizenship of our eternal home. Glory! I have dual citizenship. The West Midlands. I'm joking. I just got one. UK. Oh, never mind. I wish I was half Irish, but I'm not. I have to say that to Jesus. And then embassy. As you know, I told a story. went to Moscow once. Stayed in the British embassy. Long story. Moscow's a funny place. Funny atmosphere. Walking into the embassy. Ah, oh, Majesty the Queen. Right. Proper plugs. Beautiful. <laughs> under the authority of the British government, even though you're in another city. It's what we are right now, under the, the authority of King Jesus. This is an embassy of his presence. It's a foretaste of what is to come. In here, things are different. Here, you can find healing and wholeness and forgiveness and transformation because we are in his presence. This is the embassy of his presence. Okay, as a heart, a church that serves the poor, a heart, a church that serves the poor. Justice, we meet the needs of the city. That many of you uh, at our church is to champion people who are working in the city, who are working for its peace and prosperity. Those who are starting businesses. Those who are starting organisations. Those who are working in Audi. And if you're in Audi, come talk to me. I love the middle aisle. Tell me when there's something coming. Um, those like, like John and Ruth Fox who are into fostering this, this the, the council has come to the church and say, will you foster our children? They go and get enough kids that, who are locked in the system. The church can rise up and make a difference. Getting involved in aspects of it, becoming governors in schools, working for the common good of the city. To champion those of you in your workplaces, in business and social enterprise. Those of you who are entering into politics. I mentioned somebody earlier, I got feedback from somebody of another political party. But lots of people are campaigning and absolutely right, we should be serving the common good. There's a church, we are generously give away people. We send people away, even though it costs and it's painful, that we give our times and our talents, and we become a church more and more that is humble, wanting to serve the institutions to learn and to serve, right at the very heart of it. A resource, a resource church which is for mission for the city of Sheffield and its core, a dependence on the Holy Spirit and in prayer, because unless the Lord builds the house, it ain't going to happen. So, folks, I believe that the Lord is going to take us on a journey. I think before we set off into that journey, I was, I was praying. I was talking to Joel Pollard, actually, the day. I said, well, I'm, I'm praying for just a, a move of the Holy Spirit, particularly amongst students. Such an amazing time. And our youth. Oh, man, my daughter's in secretary. So, so the things that, you know, not only did you used to go when I was a kid and there was neighbours at 30. 35. Now everything's changed gender, sexuality, the whole thing is so confusing. We have to walk that, we have to walk that as disciples. We need to speak about those things as a church. But we need the divine reset to break up the unplowed ground so that our security moves away from whatever, whether it's friendships whether it's what we do whether it's our our bank balance whether it's what's happened to us whether it's our own strength because the in the same way that the lord calls jonah to nineveh god has placed us in this city and if he's placed us in this city we're to love it and bring its life and see the spirit of god move let's pray